welcome to TLF Gems, a podcast about customer experience and insight from TLF Research. I'm Stephen Hampshire. And I'm Greg Roche. In this episode, we'll be talking about the ninth of our top 10 traits for world-class customer experience. And number nine on the list is having a strong process for handling problems or complaints. Because apparently, Stephen, you want to make a complaint about me. Well, I'll tell you what, put it in writing, <laughs> send it to this dress, put a stamp on it. I will evaluate it. We will run it through a process. And six weeks later, I'll tell you whether I accept your complaint. Seems fair. <laughs> yeah, um, the, the, there's lots of things to pick up in that, isn't there? I think, and the first one is problems and complaints. It, probably the first thing we need to do is define what we mean by those things, isn't it? Or, and when I say we, I mean organisations in general probably need to figure this out. Organisations or their customers. Is it a problem? Is it a complaint? Is it a query? Or is it just an expression of dissatisfaction? Yeah, and this is something that I I find comes up quite a lot, particularly in the financial services sector. Again, these debates around, is it a complaint? Is it an expression of dissatisfaction? Is it dot, 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 dot? And occasionally we get lost in very technical things about is the sort of material detriment and all these sorts of things, which from a you know from a sort of financial risk point of view perhaps that's important um, but from a customer experience point of view i think tends to be missing the point i think the probably the best i've ever seen in terms of someone present this out i don't know if you remember our our, our old um, colleague um, ted mara I don't remember uh, and ted was from america he's from new york and um rather than having a talk called Best Practice in Complaint Handling, which I think is probably what you and I would have labelled it. He had a talk called, There's Gold in Those Darn Hills. And there were sort of two things that Ted used to say about British people. One, that we always complained about the weather. And the second, that we were rubbish at complaining. And the second one, rubbish at complaining, the point he was leading to, which is such a valid point, is actually, if we were good at complaining, people, and perhaps we are getting better um, at doing it, as long as they can do it anonymously, it would make organisations better at complaint handling. And all the evidence we see is if organisations are good at it, there's money to be made in doing it, in terms of you know having the most satisfied, the most loyal customers are probably those that have had a problem difficulty experienced express some dissatisfaction to you at some point they handled in the right way they are gold uh, and he had a really he used a lot of evidence to say you know a complaint is not a bad thing if handled very well i think there can be a little bit about that you know welcome complaints as opportunities i don't mm -hmm. think we're all thinking you know i hope i can go home tonight and my significant other is complaining because that would be a great opportunity but he really monetized it or high performance in it very well. I would agree with him actually, and and I guess you, <laughs> given you, you're agreeing with him. I, I think that for me, rather than getting bogged down into what's a complaint, is it especially you know, I think what what you want is for your people throughout the organisation, but you know, thinking about customer facing mm. people, to be on the lookout for a customer that's anything less than really happy, and if someone looks like they don't seem happy find out why and try and fix it. And it, you know, it's, I often tend to come back to, to, to sort of your experience as a customer in a restaurant to think about customer service stuff, because we've all had those experiences yeah. and, and the standard varies wildly. 
And what you'll find is, that, you know, there's a lot of restaurants where the waiter or waitress will come over you to, uh, at the end of the meal and say, oh, was everything all right with your meal? And what's fascinating there is they often ask the question, and if you say no, huh? they don't huh? react. They literally <laughs> pretend they haven't heard it um, in a lot of places. The flip side is there are some places where they'll go, was everything all right with your meal? And you go, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And some people will say, oh, you don't, you don't seem to have really enjoyed it. And they'll dig into it. So there was a big difference between sort of ticking the box of asking yeah, a question. Process versus or genuine. Yeah. Believing something that you know as a human with reasonable emotional intelligence. You can read the body language and the tone of voice, whether someone's happy or not. Yeah. And I think people are really good at customer service. They don't wait to be told that someone's unhappy. They can see in the body language, they'll pick up on it, and they've got the, the courage, I guess, to go and engage with that rather than hiding from it. Yeah, there's probably something interesting in what gives you that courage. You know, is it a feeling that you can solve it, or are you fearful of engaging because you feel you can't solve it? What happens if they say the steak was horrible? Do I have, am I empowered to? Give them money back. Give them a sec. You know, the, you know. There's all that thing, but I think you make a really good point because it's not about complaints, really, is it? You know, most even if you just think of passives at seven and eight, that's not what you want your customers to be feeling. Seven or eight out of ten, you want them to be a nine or a ten. So, okay, you know. So the complaints are the, are the extreme end of uh, you know of that scale, but I think it's pretty fair to say you know the top of those companies are really good not just at handling complaints, but letting you either seeing that observation or certainly registering with them that you're not a nine or a ten and then doing something about it. Yeah, and again, I think it's about turning into a positive conversation. So the problem with a lot of complaint handling, I think, is that the customers had a problem somewhere miles away. And by the time it lands in the complaint handling process, the, the journey from kind of initial mild disgruntlement to finally talking to someone who's doing the official complaint handling procedure, it, the journey is so difficult. You've been passed around so many places, you've had to repeat yourself so many times, you've had to sort of fight to get to make it. Basically, we turn people into crusaders. <laughs> you know, the, the handful of, of you know embattled customers who get through to your official complaints procedure are... A, furious, and B, probably forgotten what they were angry about in the first place, but, but they know they're angry about something and they know you're <laughs> going to suffer. Um, so I think it's, you know, the more you can deal with things quickly at the first sign of trouble, nip it in the bud, turn it into a positive conversation going, you, know, you don't seem very happy, can we make that better? Um, rather than turning it into an adversarial fight uh, where, yeah, we're going to have to give you something to make you go away. Yes, but we're not going to learn from it, and we're not. There's no opportunity for you to influence our processes. It, 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 it's just you're almost onto a, a negative conversation, and as soon as it becomes that official complaint. So, would you see the perfect complaint handling being giving lots of empowerment, or, or having a single highly skilled, highly trained um, department that are super trained in handling complaints? Basically. I think it's best done by everyone as the complaint pops up. The, and that doesn't mean you don't need a complaint handling team, but I think the more you can do very quickly at the point of where it's gone wrong, the better. 
there will always be more complicated, more technical, more expensive complaints yes, that yeah. you need to deal with. You need some specialism. Well, you need specialism. Yeah. You need technical knowledge quite often to, to deal with it. But actually, this is one of the big, big mental traps, I think, where we start talking about complaint handling. Again, particularly in financial services, we end up thinking about the things where there's a huge amount of sort of financial risk of making the right or wrong decision here. And actually, that's not the vast majority of mm. dissatisfaction. The vast majority is, you got my address wrong. And that's kind of irritating because you've got my mortgage. So you should really know where my house is because you own most of it. Um, it's that kind of, it, it's petty looking stuff. But it, if you don't deal with it quickly and, and um, sort of reassuringly, yeah. it, it niggles away at how the customer feels about you. Yeah, I, I think some of those sectors as well, would be ones that are highly regulated, have ombudsmen who who expect various responsive, and perhaps that um, has also built in a a defensive culture, you know, in 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 there as well. Um, and certainly things like put your complaint in writing, and you can't complain to me because we need an audit trail and things, you know, like that. That can be the source. That can be the source of it. And that's a good example, I think, of where it's important to distinguish between mis-selling and a minor customer service blip. Um, and it's it's appropriate for mis-selling to be properly investigated and, yeah. you know, for the ombudsman and the FCA yeah. to be involved in that. It, I don't think a, a more minor mistake is necessarily necessarily benefits from going through that big process and to be fair to, to the financial services industry it does distinguish between yes. you know kind of serious material detriment and, and sort of everyday complaints the mistake I think is then to go the other way and say well these more minor things don't count as complaints because I think they do and they should it's just a different sort of thing you yeah. know, the financial implications don't necessarily need to be as big but the kind of customer experience potential is, is still there. We're, um, I was going to say, we're quite fortunate. We do complaint surveys for, for, for clients, and there's probably two or three lessons that sort of I, I've learned, um, I'm sure you have, by doing many, many customer complaint surveys. The first one is definitely during an interview, even though you just want to talk about the complaints process, the customer will tell you about the complaint, <laughs> and you know that's going to happen as, as an aside. But fundamentally, Two things come out in terms of complaint handling and having you know, a really robust one. Outcome and speed. And I think everyone gets outcome. Yes, someone is going to be happier if they get the outcome they want or feel they deserve than if they don't get the outcome they want or feel they deserve. But it isn't perhaps as totally dominant as people think. If you... If you have to wait an awful long time to get your complaint resolved and you get the outcome you want, you're not very happy because you knew you were right. You got the outcome you wanted. Why did it take so long? And um, equally, you know, even if you, you know, if you don't get the outcome you want and you had to wait an awful long time, that really is red rag to a, a bull. But if you've got a really quick complaint handling um, process where if the person gets the outcome they want and they get that quickly, that's perfect. Well, that's ideal. And if the person doesn't get the outcome they want, but they've got that decision quite quickly, and there's other things about how it's explained and positioned, that's a better way than having to wait months to get that. Because people don't like the, the limbo of, I still have that complaint out, outstanding. So 
I, I do remember a, a really good survey that, 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 that we did, and it was so linked to speed. And yes, the, the, we had two lines on a chart, one of which is where the customer got the outcome they wanted or didn't get the outcome they wanted. And it was absolutely parallel lines up and down at the same point. So it really did make a couple of things. It was about speed, but also in terms of the bit of the process that needed improving to improve the complaint handling system, it didn't matter whether they got the outcome they wanted or not. The bit of the process that needed sharpening yeah. was the same for both. I realise I mixed a couple of things up there, but yeah. yeah well, I think the, the thing with the outcome is is something I, you see quite often with clients is, is they will they'll obsess about everything with the complaint handling is about does the customer get what they want or not. And quite often when you dig into it by talking to customers, what you realise is that no one has actually asked them what they want. Yeah. Um, and I know this is kind of complaint handling 101, but it's amazing how rare it still is. People tend to assume that they know what the customer wants, i.e. money, uh, compensation, and it's often not the case. So I think you know, there's a lot of basic kind of, a basic attitude to customers who are unhappy that needs, again, it's a cultural thing. It needs to spread throughout the entire business to say as early as possible, really sorry, what can we do to put this right? And if, if you get that at a really early stage, I think you could A, forestall an awful lot of complaints and B, I think save yourself a lot of money um, mm. on this kind of mythical quest for, for, for oh, the customer wants loads of compensation. Mm. They don't they usually do, unless you've done something which really merits it, in which case pay it with a smile. And we obviously do a lot of things where we link metrics together and trust would be a really big one that, that sort of falls you know, in, into this. It's fair to, everyone is going to have a service failure with the customer and it is one of those moments of truth or perhaps moments of trust and how you recover from that service failure, and this goes back to Ted and his the golden then darn hills, that if you demonstrate that when you have a service failure you will ensure and ask the questions you're telling me, you'll resolve it. Do you know what? I trust you more because I know everyone has a service failure and you can have another one with me, but I trust you to look after me in the right way. Whereas at the other extreme, if you don't do that, you really are placing our relationship in, in, in a very difficult situation, in a very difficult situation. And I do love doing year one surveys with our clients when you can do the whole customer journey mapping and you can show them that theory that actually some of your most satisfied customers, some of your most loyal customers and those who are gonna spend more money with you have had a problem. Mm. It's actually not about whether you give them problems, it's usually better if you don't give problems, but actually it's the way you handle the problem is such, it makes such an impact. And I think the, the thing that you're, that's kind of a little bit bound up with what you're saying there is it's still weirdly common for organisations to log or, or to measure performance based on the number of complaints that are logged by branches or regions or people or whatever, as if having fewer complaints logged is a good thing. And it's, it's so obviously motivating the wrong behaviours at that first point of contact. It's, I mean, I, as you can tell, it renders me speechless that people <laughs> still do this. Um, but I just think it's a really important principle, that, that idea that and it, you know, a customer letting you know that they're not happy, it's not that a complaint is a gift, it's that a customer coming to you and saying, I'm not quite happy about this, that's a brilliant opportunity. And everyone in the organisation I think has to embrace that idea 
that if the customer's not happy and they're talking to us, that's brilliant. That's a real opportunity for us, A, to say sorry, and you need to put to bed the myth that you can't say sorry because you absolutely can. Like, so, sorry, you know, we've let you down. What can we do to help? Even if it's a begrudging, sorry you feel that way. Yeah, well, I, th I think uh, sorry but, you feel that way takes all the... Um, the meaning out of it. And I think sorry does not mean we are financially liable for any bad things that happen to you. Sorry means I'm sorry. That's all it means is one way or another something's happened that you're not happy with and I'm sorry about that. One of the things with my research hat on that I get really passionate about complaints is Complaints are really actionable. When people commission surveys and they're after insight and they're after actionable insight because we want to do something different, you know, we want something really specific that we can action. Complaints are just wonderful because you will get the minutiae detail of why I feel unhappy. It, it won't be wrapped up in numbers or aggregated to a high level where it makes it difficult to understand. It'll be down at that individual customer level. You have to take the view whether that customer, you know, it, it, is that typical or not typical, and there's all those other things going on there, but it definitely will be very actionable. Mm. And that, that leads me nicely onto my next point, really, which is I sort of alluded to a little bit before. One of the things when we do complaint surveys for customers that, that really comes out as being frustrating is that they don't feel they they ever had an opportunity to influence your process or your decision making. So even if you find in their favor, customers will often be frustrated because they'll say, well, that's that's fine and you've paid out um, some compensation, I've got a bouquet of flowers and that's all lovely, but it's gonna happen again because you haven't changed your process. You're, 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 you're going to con continue acting in this way that has created a bad situation for me. And that is immensely frustrating to people because, because they're aware that you know, I'm trying to make your business better here and you're not listening to me, you're not trying, you're not even giving, giving yourself the opportunity to learn from me. You're just dealing with it as a one-off incident oh. that you can make me, you know, and yeah, you can make me happy by, by giving me some compensation and a bouquet of flowers, but what made me even more happy is if I felt like you'd made your systems better because you've learned from that thing that went wrong. Yeah, people aren't complaining just for financial gain. Also, one of the things when we benchmark, complaint handling you know, does have a generally low score, but it really has a high standard deviation. Mm. It is one of those areas that it just seems to be full of lots of inconsistency. Some customers have great experiences in, in terms of the complaint process, processes, eight, nine, 10, others have awful ones, one, two, three out of 10, and there's a lot in the middle, four, five, six, seven. And you know, if the average score on our on our um, benchmarking database is 6.3 out of 10. I think it's only there because that's the middle of the scale where we're offering people to, you know, to score on. And it makes you realize it's not an easy thing to put a process behind because people are coming in with different things, with different ideas, with different outputs, probably being handled by people with a difference, with a um, a mixture of values and skills, for, you know, you know, from that point of view. So it really is an area where you can see inconsistency is going to thrive, and that opportunity to say, "Hold on, let's look at these customers who are really satisfied with the way we handled the complaint, whether it's a speed, the outcome, or whatever," and learn 
from that, mm. was it what was done or was it how it was done or did the person say, I'm sorry, and did they address it in what time? It's such an area of untapped potential that organisations seem difficult to, to, you know, to grasp. I get, I, I get you need a process, totally, because you do, but I think that process that, that allows the flexibility in it because it, it's going to be something unusual because otherwise it wouldn't be a complaint. <laughs> I think you do need a process but ultimately I don't think you can you, you can't process a lot of the bits that matter uh, and this is where for me you know a lot of good customer service customer experience is about its culture and it's having good people who are empowered and skilled at it. you know they've got that emotional intelligence and ability to deal with people. And if you've, if you've got good people and you trust them and you support them in a culture that allows them to do a good job for the customer, that actually does an awful lot of the stuff that you want a yeah. process to do without, and actually the process just gets in their way. Yeah. So you need the process for the, the occasional big, complex, technical, spurious, you know, all of those things need sometimes a process to deal with. But I think, you know, the if you think of that 80-20 rule that I referenced yeah. a few months ago, probably, uh, it, it is a, um, you know, the vast majority of expressions of customer dissatisfaction are small things that could be dealt with in the moment by good people working in a good culture with the right support. Mm. You mentioned the phrase emotional intelligence before, and I think that's a big thing in this area, if picking, picking up on that signal. Mm. And, you know, the flip thing. side of, of having the skills to do that, you also need judgment. So it's, is this something I can deal with or is this above my pay grade? Um, and I think having, once you've got that judgment at the, at the front line, I think you can open up channels that, that help you deal with those things. Um, I remember, I think I've used this example before on a podcast, there was, there was a, uh, an article we had in our magazine a few years ago where a customer service director at a big financial services organisation, which I won't name because I can't remember for sure which one it was, made a point of saying my direct dial phone number and my email address are available to you frontline staff to give out to customers when you when you deem it necessary so i don't want you giving out to all and sundry but i trust you to make that call and i think that's a really good bit of messaging to say a customers matter enough that i'm prepared to spend my time on a customer that needs it and b you know it, i'm not too important yeah yeah and i, I trust you that's, that's, a, that's a good story and had a similar one with a big company that puts uh, material on roads and on car parks <laughs> and their um, um, and their their MD had a really good idea that he he said all complaints of a, you know of a certain level had to go directly to the regional MDs because he had this little idea which worked that if they were having to deal with the complaints, rather than being the place it was ultimately escalated to eventually, that they would pretty soon put in a process that would handle complaints that either do the root cause analysis and let's get rid of the problem at all, or make sure that the frontline people were empowered to deal with it, because if you're having to deal with all of them yourself, you would create some action around it, which he didn't feel was, you know, was happening. So... Um, I'm sorry you feel that way about me, Stephen. I'll send you a bunch of flowers. <laughs> Can we be friends? 
and do the tenth trait next time. Yeah, I think it's probably best to move on, yeah. <laughs> so, thank you very much for listening. If you're using iTunes, please subscribe, rate and review us. And if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at TLF Research or at TLFresearch.com. Yep, and we'll be back next month to do our final one um, from the top 10 um, list, which is really looking at the post-survey communication of the you said we, we, we did mantra. Thank you very much. Thank you.